This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm not gonna suck! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 79 Wait, 79 or 78, Scott? 79. 79 of the Skate Podcast. Um, I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Scott, Off to a great start. What you guys don't know is Scott just told me about 20 seconds before we started recording, if that, what episode it was. So, you know, I'm And you to, forgot 20 seconds later. Yeah, I'm out to lunch right now. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Bridget and Scott, how are we doing today? Doing well. Uh, ready, ready for the All-Star break. Trying to figure out how to get down to Key West like David Pasternak. Yeah, get some vitamin D, as he said. Yeah. Um, so look, I mean, I think, I think the premise of this episode, as we talked, we talked about before, is just to kind of recap the first half of the season for the team and just like the state of where things are. Um, you know, I think a good place to start though is, you know, the month of January kind of was a good microcosm of the whole first half of the season so far. I mean. For much of the month, they were really good um, to the point where the last week and a half, they haven't been that great, and it's kind of tainted the month, but it's taken a, a while to realize that. Like, we've kind of been saying it's been a dominant month, but deceptively, Scott, it's been kind of a, a rocky last, like, 10, 12 days or so of the month for them. Yeah, so, you know, the, the first sign of, like, something going wrong was obviously the blowout loss to Carolina. Um, and we wanted to say, you know, was that the sign of something bigger, you know, more problems on the way, or was it just a blip? And I actually thought they bounced back from that pretty well, where they go out and beat the Capitals, you know, the second time in, like, a week that they'd beaten Washington. Uh, and then a hard-fought win over Winnipeg the game after that. And it looked like, you know, they had put Carolina in the past and, you know, we're, we're going forward and we're back to playing well. And then really just this past week, you get, you know, a loss to Anaheim where Tugarask really struggles, but the entire team in front of them struggles as well. Uh, you go out to Colorado and it looks like that might be a bounce back game and a signature win type of game. And they blow a two goal third period lead, losing overtime. Uh, so, you know, you leave that with the bitter taste and what what could have been, you know, a really nice win for them isn't. Go to Arizona, should be a pick-me-up game, get-right game. They barely squeak out a 2-1 win, um, you know, over over a bad team. Although, I don't know, maybe maybe Arizona's not so bad because they just ended Colorado's home losing streak. So Home winning maybe, streak. Maybe it's all uh, turning around for the Coyotes, but... Um, <laughs> But either way, that was not not a game where the Bruins played well, certainly. Uh, you know, struggled, really needed Allmark to come up big um, down the stretch and make some some big saves to, just to, to hang on to the one-goal win. Uh, and then they come back, um, and then they go to Dallas to close out the road trip. Uh, much like the Carolina game, just a total no-show. 
not even competitive. They lose six to one. And it's like, well, you know, on the one hand, the, that last game of a road trip, sometimes you kind of understand if things just kind of go south and, you know, guys have already sort of started looking to returning home. But not when you've struggled, like, the whole week leading up to that. That that shouldn't happen. Like, that. that's not really an excuse. So um, that was, you know, that was pretty brutal to watch. Then they come home against Seattle, and they do close out the stretch before the All-Star break with a win but again you know another game where they they don't really play great you know they're playing a lesser opponent seattle is well out of the playoff race in the western conference and uh you know for stretches that game seattle was in control and the bruins once again sort of just did enough to to pull out the two points yeah and something that cassidy mentioned after the seattle game on tuesday was that his it's his veteran players that he was kind of surprised that had those letdowns in First of all, the game, the last game on the road against Dallas, and then the game at home against Seattle. He was, he actually gave a lot of credit, which it makes sense to that, to his fourth line, because they had that one shift in the third period where they believe drew the penalty or Steen drew the penalty. Um, and they had a really like high energy shift. And then because of the penalty they draw, Postonok scores the game winning goal on the power play. And I think he was right that the top, the, the top core. I guess you, I guess you could say the top line. Though I did think Craig Smith had a good game against Seattle. Like Bergeron, Marshawn, a little bit less than you usually get from them, and he did chalk that up to the you know the road trip coming off the end of the road trip. But I don't know if necessarily I believe you know that that played a huge role in it. And not to be lost in all of this too is that um, you know back dating back to that Washington game, Marshawn you know, got his shoulder messed up from, from the Hathaway hit. And I, I, I do think despite him feeling better and, and good enough to play and be productive since then, I you know, I, I think he's definitely playing through something. And so I think the break comes at a good time for somebody like him and Bergeron. Um, but, you know, one thing I don't love is when I see people who cover the team and, and Bruins fans alike get too caught up in um, collecting points, putting points in the bank, because as opposed to how they played in a, in a given game. Because I think, first of all, like, um, you know, because they have taken care of business against non-playoff teams for most of the year, like, they, and they've won their games in hand, they're in a good spot for the playoffs, like, their spot's locked in. But, like, I see on, like, social media, like, pe- like they'll beat the Coyotes, they'll play, like, dog shit, and they'll still beat them. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the narrative is like, well... Not the best game, but they got the two points. It's all that matters. But it's like, well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. That's not all that matters because it's not just this game. Like, they played like shit against uh, Carolina and Anaheim and Dallas and the second half of Colorado. And, like, they didn't play great against Seattle. So my point is it's okay for, you know, once in a while over the course of an 82-game season to have your duds, but when your duds are – becoming two-week stretches, but it's not as prominent because you, you are collecting some points in the standings. I just want people to, like, not focus too much on the points and focus on how this team's playing. And through, if they, if, like I said, I've said it in the past, like, if they play really strong over the course of a game and they lose, like, I won't harp on them. But I, but and if they, if they, if they win a game where they didn't play very well, I, I won't give them a ton of credit. It's about, you know, how they look as a team and despite what Scott and I talked about and, your, and yourself, Bridget, last week, but Scott and I were really singing the praises of like going out and getting that, that two center. 
which I think push comes to shove, I still think that's the play they should do if they have to give up a bunch of assets. But I don't know, like their personnel on the back end, I think really is kind of uh, making them get hemmed in in their own zone. Like it's not, I just think that they're getting pushed around in their own zone against certain teams over the course of the season and they're struggling to move the puck on the back end. And then everything else kind of happens after that. Yeah, I think, like, I look at their defense and, you know, I think we all know, like, all, all the underlying numbers are, are great. Like, the Bruins are still number one in expected, you know, uh, expected goals against. But it's like, so I think the the makings are there of a good system and a good enough defensive unit if, you know, if you're able to score, if you have two lines going like they had for much of January. Um, but it's, it's, they still just make some just really ill-timed mistakes. And it's like, they just lose focus uh, in key situations. Get, you know, guys just like lazily turning the puck over or, you know, not picking up a guy who's coming to the back, going back door. And it's, it's so bizarre because it's like, I feel like 90% of the time they're pretty structurally sound and like doing what they're supposed to do. And then that, you know, whatever percentage of 10% or even less of the time, it's like, where did that come from? Like, you know, and it just, it just feels like it's happening too often. And, you know, I know Brian in particular has harped on Brendan Carlo quite a bit this year, but it's like, it seems like like twice a week, he just has some, like horrible turnover where it's like he knows better. Like what, what is he doing? Like, you know, how does that happen? And I don't know if that's just like a lack of focus if it's just not being aware you're surrounded. Like, I don't, I don't get like how that's happening so frequently and kind of keeps happening week after week where it crops up. Um, you know, so that's like, I think it's fixable because, you know, I, I think it's more, like mental mistakes than guys just not being capable of doing it. But it's been lingering like all season now, and it hasn't really been corrected for any long stretch of time. So at some point it, you kind of have to, to maybe start to think like, is this just what they're going to keep doing all year where, you know, they just have these horrible turnovers that lead to goals. Well, and, and Carlo, just the last three games, in each of the last three games, he's minus one. He's been on the ice, you know, for goals against uh, quite a few times that you can remember during this last stretch. Yeah, and I'm trying to pull up the um, – there was a game, and I think it was in Boston. Actually, sorry, Brian. Okay. There's only two two games since January 13th that he was either positive or – zero he had seven games and that stretched out of nine that he's uh minus one it's like i've said all year and like it's like you know i i don't i don't pick on a player just to do it like that's not like my my mo um but it's been so glaring and um you know in the avalanche game there's a perfect example of kind of what scott's talking about about just losing focus or not really having your head on straight because there are certain parts of carlo's game where it might just be a lack of, you know, he just he's not he's certainly not very good in transition. He's not he's he doesn't move the puck very well, um, and I think he knows that he's not a big tape to tape guy, and then so he tries to overcompensate by doing a lot of um, you know 
bank passes off the boards and this and that, and they just turn into icings. And some half the time, like the forward doesn't even know what he's tr doing and whatever. So there's that part to his game where there is a lack of just I think skill at the NHL level moving the puck. But then there's other things too where it's like that has nothing to do with your skill. It's like for example, there was a play in Colorado before they relinquished the uh, the lead, where it was like later in the game, and he. Somehow got the puck in front of Boston's goal, and every single player on both teams started moving north, right to to leave the Bruins D zone, except one guy who was behind the play, and that was uh, Val Natushkin. And Carlo like looks over his head to like see where the pressure is, but he didn't look behind him. And Natushkin just picks his pocket, and if it wasn't for Olmark with a point blank save, the Avs tie the game there. Uh, I think I think uh, Melvin agrees with me. So. Yeah, I was hoping nobody. <laughs> <had> that. <laughs> that's that's Bridget's dog in the background, FYI. Oh. That agrees with me. Um, so, and that's just that's just a mental like mistake. Like that's not having any awareness. And if it wasn't for his goaltender like bailing him out, you you you, you give up a goal and you probably lose that game in regulation as opposed to overtime. And so, the Bruins' defense, like besides Charlie McAvoy, it's like they're either big and can't move the puck. Or they're undersized and can move the puck, but then they're susceptible to being hurt, like Grizzlick is a lot, or Vakanainen did against Seattle. And even Brendan Carlo, he hasn't learned his lesson, apparently, because I count, like, once every few games, he goes to retrieve a puck and pins it against the glass and is making himself vulnerable again for for what happened to Vakanainen. He just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't mean to ramble on Carlo, but the D, I guess I would just say this besides McAvoy, they need somebody... And I don't know how they're gonna get it because, like I and I said, like maybe two centers to play, if you're gonna give up assets. But they need a def another defenseman besides besides McAvoy who can take over the play in their own zone when they need when it needs to get out of trouble. And they just don't really have that besides McAvoy. But then he's so overwhelmed, he can't do it as often as he probably is capable of. Yeah, and you know, I think that the like there's certainly room for an upgrade on this back end. And by that, I mean, like, you know, th there aren't enough guys who are should be, like, guaranteed, you know, in the lineup every night through the end of the season. Um, you know, I mean, Forbort's played pretty much every game, but, like, if you are to take him out for a left-side upgrade, you know, I, I know they probably don't want to do that because they signed Forbort for three years, but there's room for an upgrade there. Like, he's... He's a replaceable player. I think he's basically a replacement level league average type defenseman on your third pair. Um, so you can do better than that if it, you know if you're able to find someone. We've seen Connor Clifton already get cycled in and out, and seemingly get passed on the depth chart first by Jacob Zaboral and most recently by Earl Vakaninen. So you know we know Clifton's spot isn't safe. Um, you know, Vakanine, I think, has played well. Let's see, you know, how long it continues and exactly where he fits because he's, you know, he played well next to McAvoy when Grizzlick was out. Um, Grizzlick and McAvoy together, statistically, are still one of the best D pairs in the NHL um, in terms of, like, Corsi, you know, goals for, expected goals for, like, all that chances allowed, like, all, all that Scott's stuff. All Scott's favorite stats. Yep. All the all the natural stat trick and evolving hockey stats. Um so you know, like I still think that's ideally your top pairing right now, unless you're able to go out and get some, you know, stud to play next to McAvoy. 
Um, so now they've moved Vakanainen down and they've tried him on the right side, which is his offside. And, you know, I think not as great of a place for him. And again, like he's, if you're playing with Forborn instead of the McAvoy, you're not going to look as good. You know, your job's going to be a little bit tougher. Um, so I definitely want to see Vakanainen play more and, you know, give him a some run here and see what he can do. But, you know, if push came to shove and, like, he starts to slow down or level off a bit, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't, like, hate taking him out of the lineup either. So, um, you know, I'm still in the boat of if they're going to go after a defenseman, it should be a real impact defenseman. Like, someone who is a clear upgrade. I, like, I've I've heard a couple of people say, like, you know, they can, if they get a number two center, then, like, go get a depth defenseman. I'm like, I don't know that they really need a depth defenseman. Now, yeah, if you get a couple injuries, sure, any team would need depth. But I feel like they have enough guys who can who are capable of playing on a third pairing. You know, what I would want would be like the real upgrade who goes into your top four and really meaningfully lifts up the entire unit. And you're probably not getting that and a number two center. So that comes back to the debate about like which one are you going to prioritize. And when you say jumps into your top four defenseman, then – who are you moving out if it's McAvoy, Grizzlick, Riley, Carlo as your top four? Do you just uh, need to have I, a top four defenseman, but on your bottom pair? Yeah, I mean, Riley and Grizzlick have both moved down to the third pairing at times. Uh, you know, minutes-wise, it's not like either one of them's playing 21, 22 minutes a night anyways. Um you know, personally, I wouldn't even hate moving Carlo down to the third pair. Like, that might even be a nice wake-up call for him. Uh, I don't think they're going to do that. Like, I, I don't think they would spend big on a right-shot defenseman, but you never know. I mean, they, if they're in the spot where they're moving back and nine and over to his offside, you know, who knows? Maybe they would target a right shot if, if that was out there. But they've obviously invested heavily in the right side already going forward with the McAvoy and Carlo deals. Um, so Scott, obviously the, um, maybe you've changed your mind in the last, you know, five days we've spoken. Um, before I bring up an idea or two, are you still adamant? Do you think two centers, the priority? Um, if like, I don't know, I don't know about adamant, but I do still, that you're going to spend the assets on. Um, I do still lean that way, though. I still, I, I'd say this last week kind of brought the gap a little closer together for me because just because of how much the, I think the defense has struggled and seemingly taken a step back after what I thought was, you know, a much better January for the back end for, you know, almost three weeks. Um, but I still, I still feel like a number two center is going to be more important in the long run and going into the playoffs uh, just because. I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe Eric Hall comes back and keeps this going and, you know, does kind of play above his head and it, and is just the right fit for Hall and Pasternak. Um, but I still seriously doubt that and think at some point you're going to need uh, a better number two center there and you bump him down in the lineup where he's probably a more natural fit. I mean, you, you see what happens when, uh, you know, when Hall is – goes down onto the COVID list this week. Like they started with a reunited Hall Coyle Smith line, which I thought was a mistake by Cassidy. 
um, because that didn't work before, and it certainly didn't work when he went to it. Uh, was that the? I think that was the Dallas game that he, you know, started with that. Um, and then you see, you know, combinations of like Stephen Fogarty and then Thomas Nosek, and you know, I mean, Fogarty's just like he's just around. He's a taxi squad guy. Nosek is, we know, you know, he's a fourth liner, maybe a third liner. He's not going to be the number two center in any long term capacity. So. Uh, I still feel like that's where you're going to need more help ultimately. Okay. Yeah. And I, I stick with what I said last week as well, just because of the long-term need and your, your chance of maybe finding someone on that has a deal that goes in, extends another year. And then you're maybe able to see whether or not they're a good fit, try them out, maybe resign them again. So I think that they need that for this year and also just, going forward they still have no solution in the system so yeah i mean in in any event whether it's whether it's a top defenseman or a a second line center i mean either way they decide to go they should lock the person up with term um so not a straight rental and then try to extend them after the fact and uh to bridge's point i think that if you're doing that with a center you're helping yourself now as well as the future um more than even if it was Chikrin. And, but, so so let me just backtrack for, for a second. Um, if they were to go for a two-center, right, like a Miller or a, you know, Giroux, um, I, I, I really don't think Hurdle or Pavelski will be available at that time. I just, I don't know if the team is going to fall off enough to be sellers. But regardless, so, so Scott, do you think that, um, because you, you mentioned this earlier, Let's say they went and got Miller or Giroux. Do you think that um, somebody like uh, a Jeff Petrie or a Mark Stahl or a Danny DeKaiser is better than a – would you consider them, like, third-peering options, or would you, would you consider them better than that? Like, would you consider them upgrades in your mind, not top defensemen, but better than a sixth defenseman? Because if they go to center, that's probably the route they'll have to go, try to find a lefty on an expiring contract on a seller. You know what I mean? So would those players yeah. appease you? Uh, so Petrie, I really, I really like. Now I haven't followed him super closely this year, and I, you know, don't even know like what his status is in terms of whether he'll be available. But in general, that's the player I've really liked, and I would consider a surefire top four defenseman. Um, the other, who are the other ones you mentioned? Like Mark Stahl or De- Danny DeKaiser, like. Yeah, like I mean, there's those the, are the guys there's that door off too, don't, but like you know he's. Yeah, those are sort of like the, you know, bottom four, third pairing guys that don't really do a ton for me just because I'm not convinced that they're an upgrade over what you already have. Um, you know, now look, if you're getting them super cheap, sure, that they're they're veterans, you know, they have some size, like, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say no if they're coming for like a fifth round pick. Uh but if I'm giving up anything meaningful, then I don't, I don't, I'm not particularly interested in, in those kind of guys where it's, you know, we'll bring them in and they'll compete for a spot and, you know, maybe they establish themselves as a regular, maybe they don't. Like, I, I just think you have enough guys who are capable of doing that. Uh, and I don't, I don't view a Mark Stoller or Danny DeKaiser as like a significant upgrade. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I don't know if Montreal would ever do a deal with the devil. Uh, in their mind, and and, and well, and, and deal with the Bruins. But then again, 
Jeff Gordon's over. Is it Jeff Gordon? Is that his name? Yeah. Boston ties. Um, drafted and developed a lot. Well, develop, helped develop a lot of the uh, like mid two thousands core. But um, I mean, I. Well, can't, if it's a, if it's a rental situation and they're in a rebuild, well, I don't think it's a huge. Yeah, deal. you're not really in a position to, to, to. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. And so, like to that point, I don't see, I don't see Jeff Petrie costing a first rounder. Would you? If, on an expiring deal on a last place team, like yeah, he's good, but he's older guy. Like, is that is that somebody that the Bruins could realistically target to upgrade their D after using or before, but knowing that they're using their top collateral to get that two center? I think that's realistic, but I feel like they'd be on a long list of teams trying to do the same thing. Yeah, for sure. And so, like, I was just checking quick and. Uh, analytically, like Petrie's way down this year, he's like falling off a cliff. I don't know how much of that is just that the Canadians stink, and you know, probably a lot of guys that's the case for. Um, but I would, he's a, the type of player that I would imagine, you know, enough teams would look past whatever struggles he's had this year that his market would be pretty robust if, if he were available. Um, and I think, and he's a right shot, right? So. You know, I think... Uh, oh, maybe he is a right shot. My bad. Yeah. Um, you know, it, but yeah, I think... Push I don't down think, then. you know, Canadians-Bruins rivalry would be like a hindrance if it if it makes sense for, for both parties. You know, they're just... They're in different spots. It's not like the Canadians are trading with the Bruins and like, you know, oh crap, you know, Petrie might go there and knock us out of the playoffs. Like, they're rebuilding. They're trying to get younger and, you know find their next crop of, of core players. So I can't really imagine that like there'd be that big of an issue uh, with that. With, with, uh, with Carlo playing like the way he has this year, like honestly, you look at the left side, Grizzlick's Grizzlick is Grizzlick, right? We love Grizzlick. Um, honestly, since like the first month of the season, like, I haven't really had much of an issue with Derek Forber as a third as a third pairing left defenseman, and Mike Riley. I think is I think his ceiling is fine too. I actually like. I feel like with Carlo playing the way he has been, like it's almost like the the right side could could be the middle the second pair right defenseman could be the one to behind McAvoy to upgrade, like push Carlo down and bring in Petrie. Like that would make more sense, honestly. I'm not sure why we're always so focused on a left shot defense, but I mean. I'm guilty of that too, but now that I think about it, like the right side is probably just as uh, needed after McAvoy. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't rule out, you know, adding a right shot. Um, even just in terms of sheer numbers, they just have more left shots. Uh, but, you know, the issue there becomes is it just going to be a rental and how much are you going to pay? Because, like I mentioned before, they have so much money invested in that right side going forward that, you know, do you really want to give up like a, a high draft pick or prospect for just a rental? Or, you know, if you're going to keep someone longer, do you want to invest even more money into that right side? And now like you've, you know, three right shot defensemen that you're, you know, probably among your what seven or eight highest paid players in the roster. Um, I don't know. You know, it's not insane to have like three good right defensemen or three fairly big money guys on one side. But I, I think it, you know, I, I think 
they still want Brandon Carlo to be that number two right shot defenseman for years to come. And I think they do still see him that way despite his struggles this year. That's what uh, I just asked. So I think, you know, so I think they would be very hesitant to invest more there when they feel like they should already have the guy. I mean, 25 years old, you'd think that right now he'd be thriving in his prime, but he's, he, I think I think mentally he's not there either. I think he's trepidatious because of the hits he's taken over the years at such a young age and the concussions and whatnot. And, like, I definitely think he's, he's lacking confidence um, because if you're not going to be a great puck mover, then you better be nasty to play uh, in front of your net or in the corners. And, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't try to do that at times because he does, but not consistently enough like like do players go into the corner and forecheck and go oh shit I don't want to go in there because Carlo's gonna run me through the glass like no they don't really feel that way and um so you know I would I would, I would argue you know what is he bringing you consistently at a high high level where he deserves to be put on this pedestal of somebody who is going to be around for a long time like if if like he could absolutely be part of a hockey trade in my opinion based off of his play this year because he's not giving me any signs that he's going to just, you know, improve upon. I don't know. It's, it's I don't hate the player, but, like, I don't think he's somebody who's, like, oh, he's he's a bona fide, you know, core for us going forward. Like, I don't know. He's 25. He's been around for, like, seven seasons, six seasons. Even at his best, he was, you know, not untouchable, I would say. But I don't know. Who, who, am, I to, who am I to judge? Well, I... I would tend to agree with you, but I mean, you know, he just got a new contract and they, they clearly see him as that kind of foundational piece that that's here and part of the team. And he's, you know, worn the alternate captains a quite a bit this season. Um, you know, he's, he's in their plans and I don't know if, you know, whatever it's been four months of the season, would be enough to change that. Like I still think they probably view it more as a tough stretch that can get fixed and at least get him back to, you know, what he's been during his better, even if it's not taking a significant step forward from what he's been in the past, like at least be at that level and be a steady defender. You know, you talked about like his physicality, like I don't think they need him running people through the glass. It's just be, be a steady defender. Just, play simple, make the right plays. And if he were doing that, I think he'd be fine. Like if Brandon Carlo were just consistently making the right plays while, you know, not knocking guys down all that much and not being great in transition, we wouldn't really be talking about him that much. You just, you wouldn't think about him. Like he'd be fairly unnoticed most nights. He, you know, he'd just kind of quietly go about his business and be solid and you wouldn't notice him much positive or negative. The problem yeah, the is only other, the only other thing you notice him for in the past few years of his career has just been the injuries. That's one of the main things people think of when they think of him. Maybe on some nights, you're right, Scott. He, you know, he just he just does his thing, nothing positive or negative. To just does what he's supposed to do. But in a lot of people's minds, the injuries are an issue. I still don't think that he's out of the Bruins' plans. I mean, Brian mentioned his age; he's 25. He's got the size. He's proven that he can be um, a solid second pair defenseman. So I don't think they're willing to, especially because of his age and age and what they've seen already. I don't think they're ready to move on from him. But I don't see why you couldn't add someone on the right side. 
And I don't, I, and maybe that guy was a second pair def- defenseman on, you know, his previous team, throw him on the third pair uh, as a right shot. And just, just for a year, like just as a rental and see if you can make the push right now. Yeah, and also worth noting that uh, Carlo and Riley has been a successful pair. Like just looking at some of the numbers, uh, 55% Corsi when they're on the ice, 58% expected goals. Uh, Bruins have a plus two goal advantage with them. Carlo and Grizzlick have not been successful at all. They Bruins have been outscored 10 to three at five at five on five with Carlo Grizzlick as a pairing. So. You know, some of this is like, is he going to get a long, consistent run with Riley on his lap? Because that's shown promise, and that's where when he's been most successful this season. Um, you know, they've kind of been, they've still been tweaking that that and like changing it around. And I don't really think they should be. Like we've seen, even you know, over this past week, they've gone back to Grizzly Carlo at times because. You know, they've moved back in nine and up or even forward for a couple of shifts here and there. And, you know, I just feel like more or less they should be sticking with Grizzly McAvoy as a pair, Riley Carlo as a pair, and then do whatever you want on the third pair. But, like, keep those guys together and at least ride with that because both have had success this year. And um, you know, I think there's probably been a little bit too much tweaking and moving guys around and, Cassie keeps going back to Grizzly Carlo together at times, and it's like they don't work well. No, I like I. I, I don't want to see that pair anymore. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Riley Carlo pair works and and just looks smoother, uh, chemistry wise. So Grizz, sorry, Grizzly Grizzly need Grizzly needs somebody who can keep who can keep up with his skating game because he does too many twists and turns and pirouettes and and cutbacks and shiftiness with the puck that oftentimes is necessary to do what he's trying to do. But if Carlo's out there with them, he can't he can't make up for it f- foot speed wise to keep up with them and be that cross ice pass option for him. Like McAvoy can keep up with uh, Grizzly skating, and like obviously when I was t- talking about Carlo like in the corners and stuff like that, like I'm not trying to sound like a barbaric 1980s Bruins fan. My point is because um, he he's not the kind of player to put people through the glass. He doesn't need to be. You're right, Scott. I, was just, oh, I, was just I understand what you mean though, yeah. Brian. You just mean he's too courteous. He, like he's, he's too yeah. like worried about hurting someone or himself so he goes in and he just tries to not cause any issue he yeah he he just needs to use his size more and but to scott's point though and this is what i would say to this would fix a lot of his problems he just needs to smarten up like quite frankly like his decision making his hockey iq when he has a puck on his stick at the nhl speed that it is he needs to be better with his decision making like I talked about the you can't get your pocket picked in a you know a tie game in Colorado on the road, in front of your own net, against Seattle last night. Like he has the puck in the Bruin zone, he's skating he's skating to the neutral zone. All you have to do is gain the red line and get it in and get off the ice. Instead, he starts to pull up his body like way too soon before the red line, and then the the the, the Kraken knew what he was doing, so they they attack him. And he get he panics. He puts a puck into his shin pad. The puck goes back into his own zone, and they're hemmed in, and he can't get off the ice. So just like little things, he just needs to make his life easier. And I guess that extends to a lot of the Bruins decor. Um, but you know, I probably spent way too much time talking about him. But it's just it just less is more sometimes, and you have to keep it stupid simple. 
Oh, Bridget, did you mute yourself? Yeah, because Melvin was barking. Oh. Um, we haven't spent a whole lot of time on Carlo, so I don't think it's a problem that we go into this kind of a dive that goes a little bit further into, you know, what what he's been doing, what he can fix, and how the Bruins could build potentially with another yeah. right shot defense. And I don't think it's too much to go into that, but there were a lot of other things that yeah. we wanted to to get into. Yeah, and it, it was it wasn't long ago where he was getting season-ending injuries at the end of the season, and yours truly was saying to himself, well, now they're screwed. So, like, I I valued him very much so in the past. He just needs to, and hopefully it is the anomaly, anomaly like Scott was saying. Um, one of those things you're alluding to, Bridget, do you want to hop into the Vacaninen injury, potentially, and how that was not a uh, rule as a, as a major, and it's not even looked at by the league? Yeah, no, Scott and I were there. We were at the game, and the you could hear it, like, Everybody knew immediately that this was a really rough boarding. Uh, and then you watch the replays over and over, and there's just no view of it where you can see that he, you know, wasn't going to hit him square uh, on the nameplate, that his head didn't hit the boards. Like, honestly, that was a textbook five-minute major for boarding. And th- then just they overturn it. Obviously, the what the refs do at first is call the major so that they can review it didn't think that that was just a procedural thing this time because it looked like an obvious five-minute major. Well, but and by the way, but they didn't call the five-minute major at first. No, nope. didn't call anything at first. They yeah, didn't neither, of the refs put, neither of the refs put their arm up at first. It wasn't until, like, Vakaninen clearly wasn't getting up and oh, crap, there's blood on the ice that they're like, uh, all right, yeah, I guess we're going to call five minutes and go look at it. And by the way, his, like, there's blood, like, splattered on his shield it was ugly um immediately and he doesn't come back a concussion spotter said no like you're done for you're done for the night he's not coming back and then you know and then what happens is and brian you you know this everybody knows this if they don't get the call right on the ice then you let leave justice in the hands of you know the bruins and you know they they end up with fights and and going after gord for the hit and that's just what's going to happen. They kind of started to lose control of the game, and it didn't boil over as much as it as sometimes it does. If, if something like that happens in the playoffs, it's a bloodbath. Like you lose control of the game, and they. I honestly, even after that, there were a lot of calls that did not make any sense. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's a huge problem that I feel like the league is just letting hits from behind go or letting them just be minor penalties for some reason you know as i but then the stupid cross check just like the little like bumping someone out of the crease like cross check call it every time yeah and it's you know so now four games in a row at the garden we've seen what i would consider checking from behind now maybe i don't know what from behind means but uh four games in a row at the garden someone has been knocked out of the game by a hit from behind there was Hathaway on Marchand, uh, Dubois of Winnipeg on Grizzlick, then Oscar, then, you know, the Bruins are on the wrong end, Oscar Steen uh, hitting Nicholas Delorier of Anaheim, and then last night, uh, Gord on Vakaninen. And those four hits total and resulted in six penalty minutes, not a single fine of suspension. And, you know, I, th- I feel like with anything like this, it's like you can always 
get into the minutiae of like a single hit. But it's like when you take that as a total, it's hard not to come away feeling like the league is not taking hitting from behind as seriously as they should be. Yeah, they don't they don't get held accountable. No one gets to talk to them after the game. Like this has been a conversation that comes up over and over again. You should have to like answer questions about what you saw, like even just to to give anyone an idea. Maybe they saw something we didn't. Obviously, a lot of the times we see everything, we get the replays, we get the angles, we maybe even see more than them. But they they're not held accountable and I oftentimes thought even when they go for the suspensions when the NHL player safety gets involved, that those are inconsistent in terms of um, term of suspension or even just like one guy gets a fine for the same thing that uh, someone gets a two-game, three-game suspension for. There's there's no sense in in any of it. So it's it's hard, and that's when you leave the sport to, you know, create its own justice and, and go out and maybe cause even more injuries. Yeah, I mean, and we, we start early in the year with the Slewfoots, too, where it's like P.K. Subban gets away with, like, three or four of them. Brad Martian does it once and gets suspended three, was it, three games, right? And it's like, how does that, like, you know, I'm not arguing that, like, what Martian did was okay. Like, I'm fine if that's a suspension. But then how are other cases, like, similar, not suspensions? And in this and- case, like, I went back, and there was a hit early in the season in no- early November – uh, Cedric Paquette of Montreal on Trevor Zegras. That was uh, Zegras sees him coming and kind of starts to change direction to like turn away from him. And Paquette runs him right through the back through the numbers and got suspended two games. And I'm like, how is that different than any of these that we've seen where it's like, okay, sure, the guy saw it come, like knew there was a player there, but still has his back to the player the entire time. And you look at last night with, with Gord's hit at no point, like, yeah, I think Vac and I knew that Gord was closing down on him, but at no point does Gord see anything other than Vac numbers. And it's almost like he anticipated that Vac was going to be turning just as he hit him, but he didn't. And, and to me, like, it's like, that's on Gord. Like that's not on Vac Cause he didn't turn up ice quick enough. That's, on Gord because he he read the play wrong. He thought he was probably going to get him from the side, and Vakanin didn't turn and he got him straight in the back. So, I, I it's baffling to me how that got reduced to two minutes. It's like you actually stumbled your way into the right call by getting together and calling the five because the guy was injured, and then you look at it and to your point, Bridges, like no explanation for for why he gets reduced to two. You know. Sometimes, like, with reviews of goals, they, like, they'll post press releases, like, explaining the decision. And with something like that, it just doesn't happen. So all we can do is guess at whatever it is they saw. And if you're a player, so obviously this, whatever the officials decide, whatever NHL player safety decides, there are so many players around the league who have been negatively affected by this, like, at what point it, do you have some sort of agreement, uh, you know, with the NHLPA, like the Players Association, trying to have some sort of control or some sort of repercussions or just a channel of information where they can actually be held accountable? Yeah, well, you know, what prompted me to write about today is that 
unfortunately, like the more I keep seeing this happen, the more I feel like it's going to take someone seriously getting hurt. Like, you know, you hate to say it, but like a player getting stretchered off and or being knocked out cold on the ice. Uh, because, you know, I, like I don't know what else you need to see short of that because we've already seen players get hurt, you know, get knocked out of the games. And it's only resulting in two minutes, if that. So, uh, you know, it just it doesn't seem to line up where, like, a hit like that that injures a player, it, you know, is on par with your typical trip-slash-hook that happens a million times a game. Like, it it seems to me like it's something that should be taken more seriously, and right now it's not. And this time it's your whole Vaca nine in, but next time it could be, like, you know... It- Give a bigger name player. It could be Alex Ovechkin. It, you know, it could, it could be Leon Dreisaitl. You, 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 it's, it almost feels like they took into consideration that this kid's, like, new and, like, you know, not a huge name. And then, But then when you see it happen to someone else, like, even Zegris, like, he's a young star. Um, there's a different repercussion for names that uh, have a little bit more star power, which is messed up, and it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, the only thing I can think of, because... You know, it's one of those hits where it's like, not only do they not call it um, hit from behind, they get together and they still decide it's not hit from behind. And the only time I feel a ref is put in a tough spot with a hit from behind is when a player turns at the last second. Which, by, by the way, it's specifically written into the rule that if the player turns at the last second and puts himself in a vulnerable vulnerable position it's not checking it's not considered checking from behind so like they actually have an out in that situation yeah and that, obviously but, that but wasn't then that's the case. a complete out though like that doesn't mean it's a two minute uh minor it's a complete right. out yeah and and that obviously wasn't the case with vaca nine and um because obviously if you turn at the last second and somebody's already committed to a hit then it's difficult to pull up at the fast speed that wasn't the case in this situation. He was skating down the right wing boards the entire time to retrieve a puck. So, and his course did not change. Gord had him lined up the entire time. The only thing I can think of, because again, the refs gathered and still decided that it wasn't hit from behind. The only thing I could think of is that in the rule book and in their minds, the difference between a hit from behind and a boarding penalty is distance from the boards. Now, in this situation, Vakaninen was like hugged up against the glass when Gord hit him, and that's when his head hit the glass. Now, this is not Brian telling you that it's not a hit from behind. This is me trying to get into their heads and think, and they're trying to think literally by the textbook, like maybe you have to be a certain distance from the boards because that's when the neck injuries happen, and that's a hit from behind. Whereas if you're, you know, X amount of feet or inches from the boards, then it's boarding. I don't know, guys, because that's all I can really think of. And in that circumstance, obviously, I still think it's, like, ridiculous. But I'm just trying to think out loud, like, what they could have possibly saw in that review to be like, no, that's boarding. And the only thing I can think of is distance from the boards. Yeah, so, you know, like, another thing that I noticed today is that they just basically don't call checking from behind anymore. Like, it's – if you see one, like, it's a unicorn. Because checking checking from behind – brings with it an automatic five-minute major in game misconduct. So they don't call that because they don't want to box themselves in. So everything gets called boarding because then they have flexibility. They can call it a minor or a major, game misconduct or no game misconduct. 
They can review it and reduce it. Whereas if you call checking from behind, there's no wiggle room. So it's like they just straight up do not call checking from behind as a penalty anymore. Everything's boarding because that gives them flexibility, which is like, okay, whatever. But like, you know, there still needs to be some sort of explanation for like, I, I honestly like don't even care about that part of it. On, like just take checking from behind out of the rule book if no one's going to call it. Um, just make it all boarding if you want. But I still don't understand like how it goes from five to two. Like I, I would still love to just know what you know an explanation from the refs or the Department of Player Safety or whoever of like why that's only two minutes and what would have needed to be different for for it to be a five minute major. major. There's no good answer. No. I mean, no, seriously, there's no good answer. I, I, I think they probably. That's why. That's why I said what I said. I think like that's probably the best thing they could probably think think of if they had to. If they had to uh, show accountability, is they'd probably say something about proximity from the boards. Yeah, but that's a legal defense, and uh, anyone who was reviewing it in the first place, like I don't know if they thought of that, Brian. Like maybe in hindsight, you, you could defend it that way. But be, even so, like if, if it's something you want to take out of the game, then take it out of the game. It doesn't like. You don't want to see that. I think you'd be surprised how um, astute NF- NHL officials are with the rule books. Any officials across all major sports, they're like, they know they these officials know their rule books almost as good as Home Depot employees know what aisle something's in. Like they 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 have it down to a science. They know exactly everything that's in those books. So I don't know. I'm not really sure, but it's it's a bigger issue in the game because like. As if there weren't enough problems, like the official, because these things happen. But then, like you said, Bridget, like you have, literally, if the stick is parallel with somebody's gloves, it's hooking. Um, even if it's not inhibiting them from the game, like ever since they made these rule changes back in two thousand and whatever it was seven, the league has had an incredibly difficult time with being consistent because it's a physical game, it's a fast game, and yet they want to, you know, they call these ticky tack things, but then the it's just like the fact that the one that really like made everybody crazy at the time and even now if I think about it was like you call somebody somebody blows on somebody's ear and it's a penalty but then like the um, incident with the blues with Noel Achari happens right in front of the referee where it's like you know not a slew foot but it was he took his legs out from under him it was a clear trip and in a big moment in a big game and it goes uncalled and there's no accountability. Nobody knows what the rules are. And that's the sad part. And that's that extends to the minor infractions and then extends to um, something more severe where somebody could be dangerously hurt and there's no supplemental discipline or uh, you know, a correct call on the ice. So the, the officiating in the NHL is just an absolute like mess because nobody knows what anything is. And then to kind of like step aside from, from the actual like what the call should have been what what should happen because we have this conversation all the time and frankly it never there there never seems to be like a change that would make anyone happy uh maybe it's coming but uh no rules in the same in the same talking about the same hit are you guys happy to see the way the Bruins responded obviously it's something that is like part of the culture of the game or that's a hit where you respond but you see Lazar and Fogarty uh, and Forbert end up having to stick up um, for Vakanine and after the fact. So I did like that response because I thought it was 
it, it, I think it was Gord's very next shift after he left the boss. I, you know, other than like skating across the ice of the bench. Um, and it was like, it was just right away. It's like, we're just going to get this out of the way. We're going to get in whatever shots we can, you know, Fogarty gets like a little bit of a cross check off the face off, which, you know, ends up giving, getting the Bruins an extra two minutes, which whatever, that's fine. Uh, you know, the fight is kind of quick and, you know, just sort of tackle each other to the ice, but it's like, all right, now at least you've done something and you're not, you're not going the road of like what the avalanche are trying to do against Taylor Hall, where it's like, they spend basically an entire period chasing him around, like, you know, acting like jackasses basically like, well, they would have if uh, Gore didn't, if Gore didn't play, they would have done that probably. Yeah. Um, but like that's the kind of response I don't like. Is like, you know, do it the next shift, do it right away, get in what you can. You know, obviously don't be like insanely dirty where you're like cross checking the guy in the face. But you know, get in, get in your hit, your shot, challenge them, whatever you want to do in that shift, and then go back to playing hockey. Uh, so I was fine with that. I think they you know went about that pretty much the right way. They need to do something because the refs didn't handle it correctly, um, you know. And and obviously the Bruins have had a few situations like this recently. And you know, there's a stretch there where they weren't really responding or like sticking up for guys. And you know, ever everyone knows the the game in Nashville with Forsberg hitting Bergeron is you know the one that comes to mind. Um, but now they've had a few of these games where there has been more of a response, like. You know, I don't know. I don't remember if they landed anything on Dubois specifically after he hit Grizzlick, but like there were a couple fights after that, including one with Carlo, who almost never fights. Um, so, you know, I think the Bruins are at least like they're at least not just letting teams know, like, hey, all right, you know, we'll just sit back and you can do whatever you want to us. You know, at least there's some sort of pushback there now. Oh, and I think the fourth line as it's constituted right now is three guys that don't mind doing that. Like Lazar, what it was last game, well, obviously, Borgadi's probably not going to be in there for a long time, but Bleed and Lazar, they're fine with stepping up. And and like we mentioned, Forbert was the other one. Bogarty will, if he's in, that's not going to be a consistent one, but... Sorry, Brian, I cut you off. Oh, no, no, it's okay. It's just like, what I was going to say was it's it's a, it's about time somebody did something because it's, like, it's happened a lot this year. There's been a lot of liberties taken on this team, and there has been very, very little pushback. Um, and you can tell that's the case because it keeps happening. So, like, and also, I have, like, if if nobody did anything to, to Gord or, or tried to respond to that, then... You know, each one of them could have taken their jersey off and and, and and left the team for all I care because it's it's too often happening. Like there's just like it's not about it's not always about oh if you respond you know you're gonna focus on the two points timeout. You can do both. You can respond to somebody and be engaged in the game emotionally, accept any infractions that happen and still get the two points. And it's not all that it's not always the two points. And that's what Landis Cog was talking about last week. Like Scott said, they went about it differently, but sometimes it's not always just about the, the two points, especially when you are clearly going to be a playoff team. Um, but, like, Lewington and Fogarty are two individuals that have stepped up this year and, like, 
been physical for the Bruins in these moments, and they're not even regulars on the roster. They have like three games yeah, combined. Yeah, some people just said who. Like exactly, and like so so. If if Fogarty and Lewington are two guys that have done something, and granted it's because they're trying to make an impression, but still, it's like that's that they have three games combined between the two of them, if or something like that. But here's another one I'll throw at you guys, like something I'm surprised people didn't talk more about was Anton Roussel just using Matt, your top player as a punching bag in Arizona. Like, did you watch that that if you want to call it a fight? Like McAvoy didn't throw any blows. But Roussel got some, like three or four clean shots off, and I'll tell you something, like it wasn't out of the realm, the realm of possibility that one of those shots could break somebody's jaw. Like any anybody who gets a, a fist to the jaw, like un, uncontested, like can, you can get your jaw broken. Like McAvoy, especially the last one, he was going down, and like Roussel caught him with an uppercut. That's your best, most important player, but at least you know besides Marshan, but I would say overall most important player on the team is McAvoy. And the team doesn't do anything. Why? Why? Because you because you can't take you can't take a penalty against the Coyotes. Who gives a shit? Like go stick up for your teammates. It's not that big a deal. And I didn't like that one in particular because McAvoy got like he literally could have gotten his jaw broken. I'm not trying to be dramatic. Like he could have gotten hurt. The guy teed off on him. And like you can sit there and say like McAvoy toughen up and stand up for yourself better, but he didn't. And like I just I didn't like that because it was out of nowhere. And, like, could you imagine somebody doing that to the Bruins? Like, any year. Like, not just the Lucic years and the Sean Thornton years. Like, any year. There's always been somebody there. Chara, McQuaid, Miller, Kevin Miller. Like, there's always somebody, and there's nobody this year. And it's not me saying to go out and get a goon. I'm saying the guys on that bench, somebody needed to step up and stand up for them. And, like, I don't know. I just didn't like that play at all. At all. So, my my one defense there, or... Maybe this will be two defenses. I don't know. But you have a one-goal lead in the third period. That's So even though, yeah, it's Arizona, even though, yes, you're in a playoff spot, you could afford to, you know, blow that game and not have it dramatically alter your season. I get that. You still don't want to be in the habit of giving away games in the third period if you have a chance to win. Um, so I don't know. Like, And – Definitely have no problem with McAvoy not responding himself because, as you've already covered, McAvoy is their, you know, one of their two most important players. And Antoine Roussel is a goon who plays seven minutes a night. Yep. So, you know, I, I don't need McAvoy taking himself off the ice for five minutes in the third period uh, fighting, you know, some knucklehead like Antoine Roussel. Um, and honestly, I kind of feel like I don't need – once Russell gets out, now he should have been in the box for five minutes, not two. Again, another issue with officiating. Um, once yeah, he gets well, out of the box, one guy dropped their gloves, one guy didn't. So yeah, once he gets out of the box, like I don't know, I don't know if I need other players like taking a run and potentially taking themselves out the ice in that situation. If that were early in the game, I would be fully on board with you, Brian. The fact that it was the third period, I, I personally don't hate the idea of saying. Let's just close out this win and get out no, of here. I, I understand your point, but it, I, I just want to make I just want to double check something here because would you would you be saying the same thing if McAvoy left the game because he got a concussion from that? Like, is, would, uh, would you no, be feeling the same no. way? If, if, and he, that's if, my he gets, point. if he gets injured there, then then it changes it for sure. But he, but sometimes like the intent isn't is just as important as as the as the outcome. He he could have gotten. 
like his jaw broken or concussed in that play. The guy, the, Roussel, by the way, he's like not Ryan Reeves, but he's like he's a scrappy guy. Like, you know, he he had clean shots at him, and I don't know. I just it's it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback because McAvoy didn't miss a shift after he got out of the box for doing nothing, but like God forbid something happened. Like, are we still okay with just closing out the game? And like I don't know. Like they the the Coyotes still come to Boston, so like, you know, I'm sure hopefully that he'll have uh, he'll have to answer to somebody in that game, um, just like uh, Garnet Hathaway will probably have to answer to the Martian hit later in the year when they play in April at the Capitals, because they're two plays that could have injured star players in your team for a lot for for quite some time. Like jaws have been broken by less, concussions have happened for less. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's not a huge deal. I'm just pointing out these plays that illustrate to Bridget's question earlier about the Bruins responding to Gord. Like something they had to start doing it at some point because there's been too many liberties taken on too many. Bergeron, Marchand, um, McAvoy have all been targeted this year, and there's nobody to to on on the Bruins to make teams think twice before doing it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I get it. I do think results matters or you know changes how guys approach it whether it's sure or not like i think you know in that game specifically if yeah if mcavoy's lying on the ice and you know he's he's all wobbly leaving i think that changes it if bergeron in nashville has more than a bloody nose and you know can't return i think that would have changed it maybe you know maybe i'm wrong maybe they still wouldn't have done anything but I do think that changes it. Like going back to the avalanche, it's like, yeah, the reason they were going after Hall was because McKinnon was hurt. If Hall throws that hit and, you know, McKinnon gets a stick, but it's just a bloody nose that quickly gets plugged. I don't think they're going as crazy trying to get back at Hall, you know, if McKinnon's able to stay in that game. So right or wrong, I just think, you know, result does matter. And if a guy's able to stay on the ice, I think guys can kind of look past it and be like, "All right, back to business." Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a fair point, Scott. It just when it happen when it's when it's when it, when it becomes a a common theme with a certain team, it's like in in every single instance that's brought up, there's people are looking for excuses as to why they wouldn't have responded when back in like not too long ago, it was like you you had to like you, I don't know, I just like. When somebody's when one of your best friends, not just teammates, when one of your, one of your best friends is um, is wronged or taken advantage of on the ice and 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 you know uh, subject to injury on on a non hockey play, and it's just like, well, was he hurt? No. Well, how much time's left in the third? Nah, maybe next. Like I don't know. It's just it's a little it's soft to me, and and that there's a difference. It's not black or white with me. Like, you you can be. You don't just be, you don't have to be barbaric. Like not being soft doesn't make you barbaric. There's a fine line. Like I'm not saying like you, you turn into cavemen. I'm just saying why like you know so, like somebody could have skated up to uh, Roussel on his way to the box and, and you know called called him a few uh, you know not so nice words. Like just let them let the people know. Like listen, bud. Like you know take it easy. Like you know because we're gonna we're, we'll see you again. Like somebody could have said that. Like there's just nothing. It's it's accepted because. The game has changed, and and the league is younger, and it's just I don't know. It this is not me being a hardcore hockey fan because I wasn't even alive in the eighties. I'm just I'm just letting you know, like it's about being a, you know, for, for 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 a team that says how close they are, 
and like they love the rum and they're all best friends and the camaraderie is great like that's well and that's good to hear but sometimes you like to see that you, that you mean what you say all the time like if i don't know scott like i, I feel like if somebody if somebody grabbed you by the jersey collar, Scott, and started started wailing on you, you bet your ass I would have ta- I'd take a, uh, a a minor for instigating if it meant getting even or letting him know you can't you can't touch Scotty again. But I don't know. That's just that's just my opinion because it's you're gonna need you're gonna need to be a tough team for four months or not four months for two months in the playoffs if you want to go far. And I think that's that doesn't just start in April. Kind of you kind of have to build that that identity because there's more to a team's identity than just four checking and you know, keeping teams to the outside. Like, you just have to, they have to build that. And so far this year, when we grade the team, which we're probably going to do real quick um, before we get out of here, that's one of the reasons that, you know, the grade will be a little bit lower in my book. That's all. I'm not trying to be John Tortorella. I'm not trying to be Don Cherry. I'm just letting you know. Sometimes you gotta step, you got to stand up for your, for your friends and your teammates and not focus on, well, I don't know. There's 13.44 left in the third. Stop. We're up one. Sounds like Brian wants to take that $20,000 fine. $20,000 fine? What, what's that for? What's that? For being a John Tortorello or... Oh, uh, yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Look, I'm, hey, I'm love. Zegers can do that stuff. He, he, he did the Michigan again, uh, this time for his own goal. We, we call it the BU now, Yes, actually. I'm sorry. That's right. Yes, yes. <laughs> that little terrier. Um, I'm all for that. So I'm just... All I'm saying is, like... You know, you you just you just want to see, you just want to see the Bruins. Not I don't want to see David Pashnak jumping into the stands and beating somebody with a shoe. I'm just saying, you know. I kind of want to see that. Yeah, me too. Actually, I would pay to see that. Yeah, it probably it probably be with a fedora for Pashnak, but not a shoe. But in any event, do we do we want to go around and give a give our uh, our halfway team grade before we get out of here? Is that does that make sense to you guys? I think what I think what Scott your article was about the five key improvements that need to be made in the second half. Am I right about that? Uh, yeah. So I'm going to be doing something for Thursday. Right. Today is Wednesday. Yeah. So for Thursday, um, on like five biggest questions facing them in the second half, um, we can touch on that. Or you know, since we're already kind of running long here, people can just read if they want. But like, you know. We've covered a little bit of it. Like we covered what their defense should look like. We've, um, you know, some of it. We've covered like what they should look for in trades. Uh, I have how how does the goaltending situation play out, which we haven't talked about much here. But obviously, you know, Rask has missed the last week. Swayman is back, but he's only played half a game so far. Uh, all of a sudden, like Linus Elmark is the workhorse. Four straight starts. So that's going to be interesting to see uh, when they get back. You know, is Rask ready first and foremost? And then what happens with that? Does you know, does he go right back in? Swayman goes right back down. If Rask has to miss a little bit more time, is Swayman actually going to play here? Like, I, I think he has to. You want him playing games. You don't want him, you know, sitting around for two weeks. So that's going to be interesting, and especially with Allmark, where I think he's played well and he, he keeps getting wins. He's uh, 13 3 and 1 since November 20th. But like some of his underlying only numbers. Six losses this year. Yeah. But like some of his underlying numbers, like 5 and 5 save percentage and high danger save percentage, uh, goal save above expected are still 
mediocre at best. In some cases, he's still towards the bottom of the league in some of those categories. So it's, you know, I, I like the way he's played and they keep winning, which you'll take all day. But I don't, I don't think he's been like excellent. Like, you know, I don't think he's like, other than some stretches, like I thought the Colorado game, he was really good for most of that. The Arizona game, he was really good late when he need when he needed to be. So he is stepping up in some key spots. Um, it almost but, has started to feel like to me that they know like what he can handle back there now, and they kind of just let him handle it. Like they sometimes hang him out to dry a little bit in the past. I'd say five or so games. Yeah, and you know part of that is like as we covered earlier, just defensive breakdowns in general that you know no goal is really going to be able to save you from. Um, but I think, you know, I think we fully expect that it's going to be some sort of split between two guys. It's going to be interesting to see what that ends up being. And, you know, number one on the top of the list is just what happens with Raskin next. Like, is he back right after the break? Is it going to take more time? Does, you know, so he's had his four starts. Cassidy originally said, like, you know, we'll reevaluate after seven to eight. So does that mean you reevaluate him after four more starts or does it like almost reset because now he's, now he's coming back from another injuries and now it's like eight more starts from here. You know, who knows? Um, I think that you're going to hear like, Oh, you know, we actually need eight more. Yeah. Once he comes back. Well, he has, he has, he has a tough job. I mean, he has, he has half of a season to recover from his surgery fully um, and to recover from whatever the nagging injury is right now. Which and, Ca- Cassidy did hint, kind of, didn't say directly, but suggested that it's related to, like, lingering effects from the hip surgery. So, so then whether, yeah. you know, whether it's the exact same, obviously it's not, like, torn again or anything like that, but just probably lingering soreness, something stiff, you know, just something that, that wasn't going away that's, related to trying to get back from that yeah and so whatever whatever that is um in addition to getting over those things if he ever can in the, the duration of the rest of this season he has to play at such a high level where he earns the trust of Cassidy and his teammates and management to start him over let's call for what it is Olmark who is the guy who's mostly gotten them to where they are right now because of volume of games played now, um, and of course Swainman. So that's a lot. To, that's a that's a big hurdle for for Tuca to jump over in the next half of a season. Um, so my gut is that like he's gonna have a tough time doing that. That's a, that's a lot to do for one person. Like get over your injuries, which even of that in of itself is not a guarantee that he won't have lingering issues all year. Um, and then he has to also outplay. Not just outplay Allmark and Swayman, but outplay them vastly to the point where it's a no-brainer. He's going to be your guy going into April. So I would. And get, he has not so far. No, and so I yeah, would. His I'd, numbers are, like his numbers are probably worse than what his actual performances have been. But his numbers are definitely not going to help him with the fan base that is already chanting, "We want Swayman." And yeah, well, you know, maybe maybe they'll chant, "We want Allmark now." Next time, who knows? But they they haven't completely got it on. Uh, board with him. He's not as uh, controversial, I guess, as uh, Rask and not as, like, fan favorite as Swayman, but Rask numbers, you know, he's giving up more than four goals a game well, on he, average. He's, like, he's quickly becoming a fan favorite because did you hear the 
the the roar of the crowd when he and Swayman reunited for their big hug. Yeah, that was I think that was a Swayman like that was, it was. first of all everybody liked to see Swayman there and, and yeah. everybody wanted that was maybe like the best part of the whole. That game. was that was that was like a wrestling crowd like that's you don't really see that often in a, at a hockey game like the crowd acknowledging something subtle after the game like like that was a very smart fan thing that happened like unless you know you're not cheering you know like, you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah and they people. knew they knew that Swayman had been had been gone, and then they're reunited, right. and they were right. you know they were just yep. living. It was too. People love the hug, and then I think they loved that uh, Tuesday night. It was like extra enthusiastic. Like they don't just hug; then they're like jumping up and yeah. down, like holding each other. I know, I know. Um, it, it's yeah. a bromance. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, and one one other thing in Rask, you know, not only. But you have to like outplay them to earn a number one job going to the playoffs. But at some point, he would also have to, you know, get like a good stretch of games in, where he's playing more than every other game. If you know, if he's now, we don't know how they're going to approach the playoffs. Is it going to be a clear number one who's starting every game? Or last year after the season, uh, Cassidy and I believe Sweeney as well, but at least Cassidy. Sounded like he was like at least open to the idea of some sort of rotation in the playoffs or of using multiple goalies and not just riding one every game the entire way. So that's another thing they would have to decide. And if Rask was going to be the every night number one that he's been in the past, at some point he would have to play enough games where you would feel comfortable that he could hold up up for that. So. And I, you know what, I'm okay with there being rotation, but it's, it, it can't be like, you have to choose a guy that's going to get 70%. Like if you're, if you're going 60, 40 or closer to 50, 50, then it's like, okay, so you, you don't know at this point in the season, like you don't, and then you open yourself up to criticism after every single start, like this guy, maybe they would have won if they played all Mark, you know, like, I just think that it became complicated in the last playoffs. People were very upset when Rask started. Uh, they were going back and forth with Rask and Swayman, and Swayman was doing better, and every single time it came back up. So, I mean, I think it, get, it becomes more complicated if you don't narrow it down towards the end of the season. Obviously, uh, if it's Allmark that, say, gets hot, I see them playing him, like, like I said, 70% of the time, uh, either Rask or Swayman coming in for, like, relief if there's you know games close together they just need omar just needs some time off but i think things get more complicated and you open yourself up to more criticism if you haven't really decided on like a true number one goalie at that point yeah i agree yeah and 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 it might not it might not be like a strict rotation it might be you ride a guy for a couple games and if he you know he has an off game you switch to some you know the other guy like like the Islanders did last year with Varlamov and Sorokin, where, like, even just in that Bruins series, they started with Sorokin because he finished the series before against Pittsburgh, the stronger of the two, started the series against the Bruins, had, I think, like, one rough game maybe, the the game that Pasternak had the hat trick, and then they go to Varlamov and they ride him the rest of the series. So, you know, it could even be something like that where it's just it's as simple as just riding the hot hand. Yeah, we'll see how that shakes out. You'd obviously don't. I mean, they owed it to themselves, I guess, to 
to explore Tuca and bring him back and see what he can do. But, um, you know, I, you don't want it to get to a point where it's just a circus and it's a revolving carousel of, uh, you know, what goal are we going to play today and not you, – you don't want that distraction for the room. You don't want this, that distraction for the fan base and for the people that are going to talk about the team. Just, you know, I, I'd say I'd say give it – I'd give it 30 games, 25, 30 games after the, after the All-Star break. Get to the 65, 70 game mark, you know. And and you should know by then. And you know, I don't know. I just, I you don't want to get get to game eighty one and 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 not know if you're keeping Tuca or bringing Slam back at that point. I don't even know if he could at that point. But uh, you should know about Tuca probably. I would say by. I don't know, mid March. Hopefully, you should see if he's starting a trend. I don't know. Yeah, at least I, was... I think it helps that the that there's clearly no animosity over the starting situation. Like these guys all like each other. Obviously, right. we saw the hug, and I think. Uh, Tuka's in the same boat. They they don't get mentally affected by it quite as much as maybe if you had two guys that didn't really know each other or you know really had uh, you know an axe to grind for playing time. So I think that that at least is in the Bruins' favor that these guys don't really see it as they see it as a competition to get more time, but they don't see it as like any hard feelings about it or anything like that. They still get along. They try to help each other out. I agree. I agree. Um, were there any last Bruins thoughts? I had one question for the panel before that was not Bruins related. Uh, no, the, the only the only other question that I'll be touching on in my article is: Does Jake DeBrusk end up getting traded at some point? Now, there's really been nothing new, so I don't think we need to go super in depth on this. Um, but, oh, well, we got you know, to see we got to see Mason Appleton play um, in Boston, which is was one of the suggestions of a uh, yeah. one, um, and he did score. But I mean, he's he, another one of those guys he, that's in the same boat as Jake DeBrusque. He he came to Boston, scored a goal, and I still don't want him. <laughs> so I mean, that just goes to show. I mean, I think I saw DeBrusque make his first uh, check this year too, and it was against the, uh, Appleton. So I wonder if he, you know, wonder why that was. Um, Pretty, pretty, pretty uh, inspired to go body, uh, lay the lumber on Appleton in front of the. You bench. think that when they when they get traded for each other and they accidentally meet up in Chicago O'Hare, they're gonna bump each other again on the way through? Uh, uh that'd be two hits on the air for DeBrust. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see how that how that shakes out, Scott. Honestly, like nobody really knows. I mean, I, I'm very curious to fast forward the clocks to the first day of playoffs and see what this Bruins roster looks like so I can either be very impressed at what Don Sweeney was able to pull off or be like, oh, you couldn't do it. You couldn't You couldn't do the miracle. It's, it, this, there's a lot being asked of Sweeney this year. It's a lot. I mean, it's to not be an real, easy job. Can he, do, can he outdo himself from last year? Last year was almost an ideal situation. Like, I know the needs are different this year, obviously. But last year, they kind of nailed it. Like, he, Taylor Hall yeah. and, and Mike Riley and Curtis Lazar all still in the lineup. These are guys who stuck around. These are guys who did help contribute in the playoff run and are – still uh role players on the team and you end up extending hall and, and riley so can you do better than last year i know the roles are different but it's going to be a lot harder considering the bar where it was last year well that, uh, and it is it is harder to fill a spot for second role center obviously that's why he can do better because i think that if he if he's able to address the team needs this year he will have done a much better job gming than he would have had to have done last year because last year taylor hall 
gave Buffalo no choice but to trade him to Boston. So, like, yeah, Sweeney had to execute it, but it was signed, sealed, just not delivered until Sweeney had to do it. But for him to address their needs this year, he's going to have to go out and make some serious hockey trades um, that will eventually earn a lot of respect for people beca- from people because it'll he'll he's going to lose-lose. He's either going to help the team go all in this year and people are going to be like, fuck this guy, he, he ruined the future, um, which – you know, is just such a, you know, short-sighted, uh, or not short-sighted, but just a stupid take to have, like, whatever. Um, or people will be like, yeah, he did what he had to do, and he's got balls. He's got moxie. So, um, yeah, well, we'll see. Well, for sure, what he's going to have to do, it, like, he's going to have to give up more, right? So last year, you kind of get the situation where you gave up Anders Bjork, like, you – you don't give up a whole lot. So you're not sitting here like, oh my God, you know, they gave up my favorite player. They gave up like this person who I thought was going to be um, part of the system. They're going to have to give up more this time, which that in itself can cause more anger. Um, if people don't agree about the, the trade value, was it fair? And it's going to take a lot more, uh, you know, phone calls and, and different kinds of uh, trying to work things out uh in a more complicated way so he definitely has his work cut out for him this year trying if he is seriously trying to target the right uh second line center it's going to be a lot messier than than last year that's for sure yeah i think scott agrees yeah i mean like i would also say i think scotty took a nap or something (laughs) (laughs) no but i would also say like you know I mean, we've touched on this before, but it's like if he gives up one of the top prospects, one, that's that's the cost of going for it now. And two, like, you know, let's see, like, what what the player actually becomes, right? Like, so facing Seattle last night, one of the several uh, former Bruins returning was Ryan Donato, which reminds you of the fact that, like, just about everyone hated that trade. Uh, Not me. When, for for coil yeah, i got well, into so many arguments with people about how yeah. that was a good trade for the bruins yeah and i i liked that at the time too like I, you addressed the need you needed a third line center and you went out and got one um but there were a lot of people who hated that because they thought ryan donato's like gonna be this great player he had already you know shown at times what he could do in the nhl and all you got is a third line center for him um and, you know, look, Ryan Donato is still around, but he certainly hasn't developed into anything special where it's like, oh, uh, you know, the one that got away. And whatever problems, you, you know, you have with Coyle and, you know, my biggest problem would be his contract. Um, like, he's still a, a good player for you, and he's still doing what you brought him here for originally, which is to be a good third-line center. And, and the last contract year, at the time was not a bad contract. At the time, now well, they extended no. him to a bad contract, yeah. but originally the con- you couldn't have had an issue with the contract originally, right? And and you know, especially last year looks bad when and as we find out, Coyle was pretty banged up all year. But last year he was not a good third line center. He was like a poor, you know, below average third line center the way he played. Now this year, I'd say he's back to being a good third line center. He didn't quite work on the second line, which in part was because him and Hall just don't click. Like they just play. I think two different of, of styles. Uh, but I think he's been a good third line center. Like, I think Charlie Coyle's having a pretty good season, all things considered. So, um, you know, don't – I know it, it will happen. Like, 
if they give up whatever prospect, if it's, you know, a Lori or even like a Stanika, you know, people are going to freak out and be like, uh, oh my God, you know, you just gave up the only promising left shot defenseman you have, or, you know, the only center, the only young center who was even close to being NHL ready. But it's like, some sometimes you have to do that. And there's, there's just no guarantee like those guys are gonna it's the, are gonna become anything. The so. last the last thing you said, Scott, is like it's so true and people just like they 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 act like Laura is gonna be like the next freaking Victor Hedman or something. Like, guys, the reality of the situation is he was a second round draft pick and and teams value him, the Bruins value him. There's a there's a really there's a much better chance of him becoming like a fourth defenseman or third defenseman in the league than he is a top defenseman. That's just the reality. Yeah. So, like, if, if the cost of of, of get bringing in like J T Miller or somebody like that to to, to help your, you know, f- present and future at center, and put, help put you over the top if possible, and like Lorraine up being a freaking third defenseman on a, on a, on a, on a bubble playoff team his whole career, who gives a shit? Like, and the same, I would say the same thing about like like Fabian Lysel, promising kid, promising prospect, okay, like. If you're so stubborn that you don't want to give him up, because you don't want to give up your future, so you you take away your chance, your best chances of winning this year because you're so stubborn, and then he goes and ends up being like a 25 goal scorer for Vancouver. Like, well, there's a lot of 25 goal scorers in the NHL. The chances of that happening are or higher than him becoming a hundred point guy. And even if he is a hundred point guy, what good is a hundred points in your on your wing if you have no centers? So like in the future, I mean. and when you're in a rebuild. Yeah, so like people like I'm look, I'm glad all these people are like you can't trade the future because you know, Lori and Lysel they're gonna bring us what exactly in 2025? Tell me so I know. I can tell you right now if you bring in J T Miller as your second line center, is it, is it when you still have Patrice Bergeron and McAvoy and Pashnak and Martian and Taylor Hall and go down the list, I guarantee your chances are better of winning right now. So so you know stop looking five years down the road, okay? Because there is a way for Sweeney to address the present and future. And you know he's gonna be he's gonna be shit on by people no matter what. Either a he didn't do enough of the deadline, b he gave up too much, or c he just like there's gonna be no winning for him. So the best thing that Sweeney can do is to lock in uh, a, a, a high quality centerman that has term currently, and they can lock who's young enough he can lock him up for a few more years. That to me is J T Miller because I don't see Pavelski, who by the way is older. And I don't see Hurdle, who would be the more comparable player to JT Miller. I don't see the Sharks. Well, they could sell. But long story short, the the whole, you know, you can't give away the. Honestly, f off. I don't like. I'm. I don't care about Mason Lawrence. Usually, usually Brian. I'm is getting a little. I'm a little hangry right now. He's like. He's like. You know, maybe no. 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 Today. No, I'm a little hangry right now. I, I'm a little hangry. I haven't had dinner, and I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot. Of, I'm just seeing a lot of people just be acting like they like they can like. Where's your where's where's this mystic uh, crystal ball that you have that you see Mason Lori becoming a fifth best, fifth best defenseman in the NHL in four or five years? Cause, cause I don't see that. I can see it becoming a pretty good you know top four guy. Fine, is that bringing you a cup? No, it's not. So like seriously, like hit the bricks because in five years from now Charlie McAvoy is gonna be pushing thirty. Pashnak, same thing. Like these guys are like the the league is younger, which means when you're twenty four to twenty six seven, that's like serious prime years now. Not to say that they won't be in their prime at 28, 29, 30, but, like, it's a younger league. So, like, McAvoy and Pashnak are very much kind of, like, approaching their primes now anyway. So you want to utilize them most while you have them and under contract. What if Pashnak goes to free agency in a few years and resign with the Bruins? Oh, we got Mason Lorai. Good. 
What happened back in 2022? Oh, yeah, we didn't go for it because we wanted to make sure we, 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 we uh, had Lysel and just never gave up anybody for anything. I'm a little Probably hungry. I need Snickers. some dinner. I'm sorry. I apologize. But, like, you got to give That's to okay. Get. I'm starving, too. You got to give to get. We'll talk about the Olympics, which is what I was going to bring up later. But we could talk about that next podcast. Um, did the women start? Starts, starts Thursday. So the women yeah, start before start... the men, right? Yeah. The, men the, start in the first, first U.S. women's game is Thursday morning. Ooh. Against Finland. So people can, maybe people can wake, wake up Thursday, be listening to this, and, and have the women's game on. Scott, nice article on the uh, on the men's team, by the way. I, I read oh, it. Oh, thank you. Nice. Uh, what, did you get private private Zoom calls with the guys, with the kids? Uh, no, so a couple were team no, Zoom calls. No, his brother's on the team. Oh, oh that's right, yeah. Yeah, brother Mark. Uh, no, n- not actually related. Although we are both from Dorica. Um, you're related. Are you sure you're, not related. you're related. Then you're not. It's not your brother, but he's like no, your no. second cousin or something. There, there are like four different McLaughlin clans in Dorica. Yeah, it's so you. Dorica never... is, ent- is entirely Irish and Italian. So there's like a there's like eight last names that cover the whole town. A lot of so. lot, of, lot of McLaughlins, a lot of Millers. Yeah, a lot of. Uh... Yeah, a lot of that stuff going on. So you've never seen him at Thanksgiving, then? Is that, that's what you're trying to say? Nope. I've okay. not seen him at Thanksgiving. You're like, I wasn't his wedding, but at <laughs> 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 Thanksgiving. Um, my sister and his sister did play together growing up. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. You're so, related. So, so, what, so what, you had a Zoom call with all of them? Um, so a couple were like team Zoom calls, and then a few were just, yeah, one-on-one phone calls. But Very cool. Yeah, it was, it was you know cool to talk to all the... The, all the local guys who are on the U.S. men's Olympic team, um, and as I wrote in the article, like I'm, I'm a lot more excited for this uh, Olympics on the men's side than 2018, and that's just because I think the U.S. team is a lot more exciting. It's, you know, 2018 it was only four college players, and everyone else was um, veteran journeymen, guys who whose NHL careers were already over, if they even had one in the first place. They were just playing in Europe. Yeah. And now it's reversed where the college guys are the core of the team. It's 15 college players. A few uh, KHL guys. Yeah, and then like a, a few AHL guys, a couple guys playing in Europe. But those are more just like kind of like the veteran comp- complementary pieces this time around because USA Hockey learned. Like 2018, their best players were the college guys. Like Ryan Donato and Troy Terry were their leading scorers. Jordan Greenway was one of their top players. And they realized, like, oh, I guess these guys aren't overwhelmed. And as it turns out, they're actually better than, like, all these, you know, 28 to 30-year-olds that we're bringing back from playing in Sweden, the Czech Republic, and, you know, wherever. I'm surprised the U.S. and the, and, and the Canadians, on the men's side at least, I'm pretty sure they're both favored on the women's side. But for the men's side, the U.S. and the Canadians were both, like, I, I want to say, like, fourth or fifth or fifth and sixth in the uh, – in the betting odds to win, which surprised me because, like, yeah, they don't have NHL players, but neither do Sweden, Finland, you know, yeah, Russia. I, I feel and like so... what the betting odds are leaning on, I mean, Russia's definitely the favorite, which they, they should be because they have KHL the, most ta- the most non-NHL talent stored in the KHL. Right. So, you know, they have more to pick from. Um, but I think, like, what Sweden, Finland, and even the Czech Republic to an extent is they're – they're looking at guys who are playing in the same leagues and in many cases like six or seven guys who are on the same team. And they're I think they're just thinking like there's gonna be more built in chemistry and they're gonna be better suited to kind of hit the ground running in a in a short tournament with virtually 
no training camp to get ready for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the U.S. team is, is certainly talented enough to beat anyone. Like they have a bunch of first and second round picks, a bunch, you know, a bunch more third and fourth round picks. Like guys who are gonna go on and have good NHL careers. Um, guys who know they might not have another chance at the Olympics because you know the, they're the best of the best in college or, or where they are right now. But they're but if the NHL players go to the Olympics next time, you know, it's not a sure thing for them to ever get back. Right. Um, yeah. So it's it's just going to be a matter of like how quickly they can come together because you know some of them have played to get some of them are on the same college teams. Uh, you know, Maddie Beniers, kid from Hingham, his line mate at Michigan, Brendan Brisson is also on the team. The two Harvard kids, Sean Farrell and Nick Abrazizi, are on the same line at Harvard. So like, there's a few places where there's some built-in chemistry there. But yeah, it, it's. I think they got like three days of practice in Los Angeles before flying over to Beijing. And they have like a few days of practice there before the tournament starts. But that's about it. Like they're probably gonna have like seven and like maybe seven practices together before their first game. So it's, you know, it's just a matter of whether it clicks or, you know, they could just as easily kind of fall on their face because, you know, nothing's really clicking, doesn't work out. Yeah. I think a lot of those American kids though, they're kind of used to like, they're kind of used to that, um, you know, building chemistry quick with with non traditional teammates. Like, I mean, talk about a mind f. I mean, you have um, so Maddie Beniers, uh is it Matt Maddie Matt Knives Matt Matt Knives Matt Knives yeah Matthew Knives Matthew yeah. Knives from uh, De- I think Denver or Minnesota one of the, I don't know which one I think uh, De- he's Minnesota Minnesota yeah so you get those two um, you got Jake Sanderson you got uh, Brock Faber I believe is his name like they're coming from the canceled world juniors and then oh by the way uh, a month and a half later it's like they're playing in the uh, olympics now like talk about a mind f and i think i think jake sanderson and and brock faber are like two really good examples of why this team this non-nhl us team is gonna be better than 18 because um in 18 like yeah you had troy terry you had donato you had greenway Troy Terry has turned out into a real good NHL player, but at the time, you know, he wasn't what he is now. Donato and uh, Greenway weren't, like, the, the the type of prospects that they currently have up front on this team. But on the back end, to have Jake Sanderson and, and Brock Faber on the back end, those that's, like, really high-end ta- young talent that they did not have on the back end in, in back in 18. So I definitely think that this team should be much better. They should not be losing to... Uh, was it like Slovenia <laughs> back yeah, in eighteen? The, yeah, the U.S. lost their opener to Slovenia <laughs> like, last time. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be fun to watch. It's good to hear that it's gonna it's like the morning, not like overnight. These games, right? They're gonna be like nine. Yeah, in the so morning. I think two of their group games are eight in the morning, and one's an eleven p.m. at night. Which like I can even I think it's a Friday night too. So it's like I can manage that. Like I'll stay I'll stay up till one yeah, one thirty for sure for sure. All right, well. Um, there's probably some other stuff to talk to talk about, but we've gone, you know, quite quite some time, and we'll talk again not too far from now, right? Next week after the All Star game. Yeah. Right? And so. For sure. Um, and we'll touch after on. After Scott some comes back from Key West. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Right. 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 So. Um, I'll be very sunburned. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> make sure you wear make sure you wear your, your Seattle Kraken hat. Okay, protect <laughs> protect that forehead of yours. Um. All right. Well, I'm good, guys. You guys all set. Good. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to episode seventy nine, I believe. 
Um, Correct. And, Nailed uh, it. <laughs> and we'll talk to you guys next week.